Well, welcome to our podcast uh, today. I'm Pat Nimmers, lead pastor at Sarahville Church. We have our director of evangelism, John. Uh, and uh, we have you here re for a reason, John, not only because you're my son, but we're talking about raising rebels. And uh, I was a rebel. You were a rebel. So uh, uh, that was the topic. I would encourage you, if you haven't watched uh, the message from last Sunday in our new series that we just busted out, Your Questions, uh, God's Answers, the question was, you know, what... You know, what do we do about our child who resists us or rebels against us? And rebellion is a is sort of a relative term. I think sometimes when we think of a rebellious child, we go to the absolute extreme, which you would be an example of to some degree. But they're not all like that, are they? No, no, I don't think so. No, I'd even include probably my my wife in that in that category. She doesn't know I'm calling her out right now, yeah. but she'll be fine with it. Just the quiet rebels, I think, are pretty yeah. common, especially if you grow up in a church. Uh, ones that you know they know the truth, except they just quietly rebel against their parents. Yeah, you know the message uh, was intended to encourage people, and that was the reverberating response we got. But people were greatly encouraged. But if you recall. In all the services, I asked, there was a moment where I stepped aside and I said, if you were raised in a godly home and you rebelled, would you stand up? And all around the audience in every service, people were standing, weren't they? Mm -hmm. But I saw people standing that literally caused me to raise my eyebrows because hmm. I thought, I didn't think she ever was a re rebel. But I think it was, it was probably along the lines of what you're referring to, more internal, a little self-resisting. And by the way, from a theological perspective, uh, and I'm going to talk about this, and I don't want to get into the weeds on this, but rebellion is sin. We would all agree with that, right? Yep. But we tend to generalize the term sin. And there's a message for, uh, forthcoming that I'll be preaching this summer on, is all sin the same? Because I, if, I've heard, if I've heard it once, I've heard it literally dozens and dozens and dozens of times from individuals uh, some who I would think think would know better who will say, yeah, it's all sins the same. I, I get where they're going with it, but it's uh, that is that is a that's really an ignorant statement because all sin is not the same. The Bible doesn't even make them the same. Uh, the Bible speaks of words like sin, transgression, and iniquity. They all have different nuances. Mm. And uh, you may recall during Vacation Bible School, I even taught the little ones that what iniquity means. Or Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Mm -hmm. We've turned each one to his own way. To his own way. That's what iniquity is. Yeah. Going your own way. Doing your own. It's a, sort of a willful thing. Yeah. That's that internal thing. It's a great song for kids, too. Yes, yes. Kids, it's yeah, one of their really. favorites. It is. It is. <laughs> so in the message, we talked, in the message, uh, we talked about, uh, you know, Several reminders to parents, uh, you know, you know, reminders such as, uh, you know, they, their theology, you know, demands that uh, that they know and remember that only God can save. Do, does that uh, when you think about that, John? Um, do you see people getting messed up in that? Because I, I see parents yeah. putting it too much on themselves to save their kids. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think that that's. That's probably one of the more common things that you see, and especially with, ironically, I don't know if this is a, I might be broad brushing here a little bit, but ironically, it seems to be that those who were rebels who got saved tend to put the most pressure on their kids to get saved. <laughs> and then they just, it doesn't click in their brains that, well, yeah, I mean, if they're dead in their sins, then they're dead in their sins. And I have a close friend who is kind of 
they're 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 I don't know, I, and they know their theology as well. So they're they're smart. They they know their theology of salvation. And this individual kept on saying, "I just how did how could you grow up in a home filled with so much gospel truth and still reject it?" I kind of just baffled by the question. It's like it's an obvious question. It's well because I'm dead. I'm, yeah. I'm spiritually dead. I'm I'm blind. I can't help that fact. I heard a guy say just the other day. I was listening to a podcast where a guy was talking. He'd taken a glove. I don't know if it was a baseball glove or some kind of a glove, and he put it on his pulpit. And he said, uh, he said, now here's a glove. He said, uh, now I can preach to that glove. I can tell that glove pick up your pick up the Bible and read it. And I can tell that glove to be obedient. And but that glove isn't going to do anything until a hand gets into it yeah. <laughs> and then and and animates the glove and mm-hmm. he says basically that's all all we are we're all just gloves without god and until god comes in to live with inside us through yeah. salvation uh there's going to be any propensity towards obedience i think yeah. and yet the irony of it all is god uses parents yeah. he what are some of the things that uh, as you grew up now even as an unsaved guy what were some of the things that you couldn't get away from as you went into rebellion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think that it was it was scripture was was the biggest thing in my in my mind. I mean I knew I knew verses, I knew I knew truth even if I didn't know the specific verses. I just I knew truth and and that was so ingrained inside of me that I really did it, it shaped my worldview as, as oftentimes you really can't help it. I mean I really did believe in eternity. I really did believe in a holy God. And so by the time, I mean, to fast forward my story, by the time I was 18 and a half and I was really coming to my wits end with my rebellion and just realizing this isn't the life that I want. I mean, there really was no other option for me to fall back on except for what I deep down in my, in my, and to my core, what I believed to be true, mm-hmm. which is that, hey, there is a holy God. What do I do with this? Yeah. And then you reach out for him for help. And so I think that's kind of where you're getting at. Yeah, Isaiah 55 uh, verses 8 and 9 come to my mind <clears throat> where it says, uh, as the rain, or maybe it's 10 11. Either way, it's in Isaiah 55. Uh, as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, it waters the earth so that it might bring seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that comes forth from my mouth, it will, it's going to accomplish what I please. It'll prosper in the thing I sent it. Yeah. So, um, uh, so this whole business of trusting the Bible, the truth of God's word, and we made a comment in the sermon that we said the Bible isn't a magic book, yeah. but it is a miraculous, book. a, mirla- a miraculous book. And uh, can't pronounce my words here. It's a miraculous book, yeah. and it is that. And we have to believe that as parents teaching yeah. our kids. Yeah, I I think that even you know coming from the evangelism director's uh, perspective right here, and and we both being evangelists, I love to witness to people. I think so often we can kind of get the same perspective as parents. Uh, when we're witnessing to other people, because we do, we kind of we kind of just want to give them the truth and just expect, you know, something to happen, salvation to happen. But man, how true is that? That obviously in, in kids, as we're, as we're saying right now, that when you plant those seeds of truth, that because this is a miraculous book, that you can you can lean back on uh, the fact that something. Lord willing, will happen, that yeah. it will come to fruition in the future. And the same is true when you're witnessing to your friends and family that, 
man, if you can not just give them an argument or, or win an argument, but give them the truth and give them scripture, you're planting seeds and then Lord willing, something yeah. amazing will happen. And even that metaphor you're using, a seeds, and then I even like what you said in leaning back. I, I, there's a sense in which parents, they worry a lot. You know, I mean, what I, they want their, we naturally want to see our kids get saved, but we realize we can't save them. Mm -hmm. And yet we realize we're responsible to give them truth so they can be saved. So it's kind of, yeah. you know, it's going back and forth. And yet uh, the analogy, the metaphor of the seed, you know, no farmer puts a, no farmer puts a seed in the ground and, and, you know, sits there and wait for it to spring up and right. turn into a, a, you know, a stalk of corn here in a <laughs> overnight. There's time. And the, and yet we know that evangelists come in, come in. We evangelize somebody every once in a while. We run it. We come upon somebody who has already been seated and watered and witnessed to. And it, it's kind of been my life. I mean, I'm the I I, I have, I'm kind of the sickle guy. I come in. I come in where somebody else is sown. Oftentimes, and they're just ready. They understand yeah. the gospel, and they do get saved right away. But the truth is, there's been some time somebody else has probably witnessed to them. Yeah. And maybe as a parent, I like the other analogy, leaning back, put the seed in the ground, keep seeding, keep watering, keep trusting, keep praying, and then wait patiently for God to show up. And yeah. he does show up. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think one of the guys on staff here who really, I mean, not that you didn't do a good job of that. You had you had your good times and your bad times, I suppose. But one of the We'll guys, get to that. Yeah. One of the guys that were really good, at least from my perspective, is Abe Miller mm -hmm. in that in that aspect. He seems to be he seems to get that get that down. Obviously he's not perfect either, but just that whole process of I'm going to present truth and then I'm not gonna try and force it on my kids, which Kind of even, I'm sure you'll get to it. That whole pie analogy was mm -hmm. a really good one. Kind of gets into that, but yeah. yeah. Well, a lot. We're, we're talking about raising rebels. So let's. Uh, so there's parent watching right now. Uh, they have a son that's off the chain. He's rejecting Christianity. He might be in the radical side. He doesn't want anything to. There's a lot of, and you know this. There's a lot of, uh, you know, deconstruct Christianity going out there. People just deconstructing. John Piper's son being one of them. Uh, you know that's. If you're already leaning that way, you're going to go toward that. Uh, we got parent, we got kids doing what they've always done, you know, dabbling into alcohol and drugs and things that uh, take them farther and farther away from God. Their parents, um, and one of the things that we said, and you you can't relate to this as much as I can, but now that you're a father, your kids are. It'll be a while before they reach that age, you know, be, that uh, they start. <laughs> Driving you crazy, but anyway, uh, no, uh, we're doing that right now. Yeah, just as kids, <laughs> yeah, just as kids though. So you know, I made the comment. This is a big deal to me, even though this wasn't the real showstopper part of the message. I think from a long-term perspective, this is an important point for every parent to get, and that is for you to realize that your sanctification is taking place during mm -hmm. this time. This isn't just about the kid yeah. that's rebelling. Uh, God is doing the work in your life. It's not like you're, well, you know, you're perfect. You're not perfect. Uh, but your sanctification is on the line. So, John, uh, you were raised in a strong Christian home. You did hear the gospel mm -hmm. constantly. You were greatly loved. And there wasn't a, you, there wasn't a time where we quit loving you. No. Uh, there were a lot of times where you, you weren't very loving. <laughs> uh, or uh, talk to us about that. What was going on in those days uh, in your mind? You weren't a Christian. We know that. Right. So we were talking, we're asking you to go back into the dark days. Can you help us there a little bit? 
Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you have to you have to start off with the premise that I wasn't I was dead in my sin, mm-hmm. right? So it shouldn't shouldn't come as a shock that spiritual things uh, weren't of an interest to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, throughout my elementary years, I was a relative. I think you would concur with this. I was a relatively good kid, obedient. I wasn't like I wasn't crazy or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and then it what really hit me, uh, I think was probably my eighth grade year um, when my two older brothers and sister who were who were we were in the public school at this time uh, we were having a good time in the public school in the sense that that we were befriending a lot of people it's not like we didn't have any friends and I actually if you remember in eighth grade in middle school I was actually hanging out with all the good kids and I had a pretty I and mean, none of them were saved but I had a pretty good group of friends uh, and then you, my older brother and sister, they got into some trouble. And so you took us out and put us back into the, uh, the Christian school. And I think the more I look back on a hindsight being 2020, that was probably, that was probably the real start of a, of a, maybe more of a, a hatred for Christians. Uh, not necessarily, I mean, it was, uh, maybe not overtly, but it was a kind of a hidden hatred towards God as sin is, but uh, because I still feared God in the, in the very real sense. I still thought he was real. I still thought that, man, I still got to have that Christian tag on me so I don't go to hell someday. Uh, but it was then that I really started to go, okay, screw this. I'm not going to try and pretend anymore. And so I think that was really the start of when I really started to act out um, and then from there on in high school, uh, it was kind of just like a snowball really effect that just kind of get worse and worse. It's interesting that you mentioned that time where we moved you from one school to another, because I've often said that it, it, people say, do you have any regrets in your parenting? What parent doesn't have some regret? Uh, I think top three, this is, this, this might be the biggest one that was taking you from one school and putting you in another and then putting you back in that school. Uh, that just shows a lot of uh, indecision on my own part. Uh, maybe trusting the school. I, I mean, of all people, I've often I've preached it to the you know to the mountaintop. You know, don't trust the school to save and sanctify your kid. You know, um, and uh, but I think I was just so uh, you guys were not doing well, and though you weren't as bad as your brother and and your sister, you 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 would excel them in your badness later on. Uh, but uh, I, I regret that jerking around. I guess I would say to those of you that are watching, be careful about making herky-jerky decisions. Uh, maybe you need to persevere. Maybe I should have persevered a little bit during that time. Um, and and yet there was consistency in our home, wasn't there? We. Yeah. What, what were some of the things we consistently do? We got parents watching, yeah. got rebel kids. We're talking about raising rebels. And some of them have kids that are already starting to show those early signs of resisting, yeah. stubbornness. They're not being, they're just naughty. It's not like they're into drugs and alcohol, right. but they're just not showing. Some of them probably have kids that just are just disinterested in the gospel. Yeah. Uh, what would you say to them? Yeah, I think that, I mean, as much as from a sibling's perspective, we give you a hard time. And, and my and my older siblings always give me and my brother Daniel a hard time because we were arguably the, the worst behaved and probably the least, in their minds, disciplined. Um, as, as always, the youngest siblings always kind of get tagged with that mark. But I, I mean, looking back on it, hindsight being 2020, I really, I don't know what, 
as a parent, I would have changed if I were you. Hmm. Because when you were young, or when we were young, you would have those constant, or consistent rather, uh, morning devotions before we'd go to uh, school, and they were just quick things. They yeah. weren't anything heavy. Uh, and then every Sunday, you know, we'd sit down and we'd have we'd do our little devotions, and and so the word was always present. You know, it is always a joke that you're always bringing up spiritual things and talking about spiritual things. It really was a as when you're waking up, when you're on the road, when you're laying down type mm. of a type of a household, which is great. That's what you want, and it is something uh, that looking. At it from a parent's perspective now, I would say, yeah, those are the types of things you can force on your younger children. Sit them down in front of the word, um, you know, preach to them at times because hey, they're kids, you know, they're they're they'll get into it even if they're kind of halfway listening or whatnot. But then as we as I got into the rebel stage, um, it's not that you would stop having those spiritual conversations with me. You would still have them with me. But it was not as overt of, hey, sit down, I'm going to sit, because you saw the rebellion in my eyes. You saw the, the hatred in my mm. eyes. And so I think there was a, there was, you stopped sitting down and going, okay, let's, let's read to this passage mm. together. Now let me explain the passage to you, because you knew that my mentality would be, get, like, this is why I hate this. Mm. Like, I can't stand this. But what you would do is you would still, which is what the older siblings would give me a hard time for, is you would still love mm-hmm. on Daniel and I, and you would still ask us how we're doing and, and take us places and you would uh, get in the car and turn off the radio and we would basically be like, why is he turning off the radio? It was torture for you, I know. <laughs> and then he'd sit there and go, so what are you thinking about? <laughs> I'm thinking about why you turned off the radio and we're sitting in silence right now. But I think there's a good truth there that you, in that, in that sense, to go along with your own analogy, you were kind of making pies there at that, at that, um, at that time where you're not, you're not, preaching all the time mm. and uh and i think that well well my heart was so cold and so hard towards spiritual things um i would give other people credit for what i probably did not give you credit for so guys like rob seiler who were who was my bible teacher in high school someone who would not overtly try and shove christianity down my throat i would notice as an unbeliever i appreciate that mm-hmm. that means he's loving on me now mm. My dad was kind of doing the same thing in high school, but I just, I was just, I just didn't see it. But you're onto a couple of things here. So again, we got parents, they're watching, got, some of you have rebel kids, some of you are just resisting a little bit. Um, I appreciate what you said. Thanks so much. But you, you invoked uh, 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 Rob Seiler uh, over at Grandview uh, Christian uh, School. He's been around a long time and uh, he would come to church. He, he, did, he doesn't attend this church, he attends another church. But he would come when John and Daniel, your older brother, were in their complete rebel stage. He would come to our church just to see you and pray for you. And he would weep as he would go through the line, shaking my hand, telling me how much he was begging God to turn you back uh, to himself. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, you need people, you need those robs in your life. They're not going to be, they could be the guy. They could be the guy that turns the key. Uh, but make sure there are other people who speak the same thing that you're saying into your kids' lives that they might actually listen to. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. But there's something else. We gave the example of Eli, who was the example of the parent that was lopsided. Remember we talked about the lopsided Christians that some are too much grace and not any truth. Yeah. Some are all truth and no grace. Uh, neither one are a whole lot of good. I guess you'd want to have the all, all truth if you're going to choose the one, but that often pushes people completely away because... It's not showing the, 
the clothing of Christianity, yeah. and that be, that's even worse. Yeah. So God says to Eli, when with Hophni and Phineas, they, they were doing all these terrible things. He sends his prophet in, and he makes this incredible statement to Eli. He says, "You honor your sons more than you honor me." Hmm. And after I didn't say this in the message, John, I don't think I did anyway. Um, but it really hit me that you read that entire account. Eli never praises his sons. He never blesses his sons. He never holds them up. And now, you know, obviously it's not giving us the whole life of Eli and his sons, but there's no evidence in the Bible that he, he honored them above God. But so what do you think that means? Yeah, I mean, when you read scripture, sin oftentimes is pinpointed in your desires. It's, it's your hearts. And so at least when I'm hearing that, it sounds like God's just calling Eli out in the sense that what you what you didn't do in in rebuking your sons really is just showing your inner heart, which is they're they're too they're too important for me yeah. to do this. And yeah. They're they're more important than God. They've been yeah. put in there as an idol in a sense. I completely agree. So he had he was kind of that hand slap guy. Didn't really deal with deal with it like he should have and. Um, and the result was God saying, well, the, real, the realization is you honor them more than you honor me. And uh, I asked parents to stare at that for a little while. I didn't get into the weeds here because I thought this could be a complete guilt trip. It could be. Yeah. But we're doing a podcast here, so we might as well give them a guilt trip. Give them a guilt trip here, okay? <laughs> so uh, I, I would like you as a parent to ask yourself that question. How am I honoring my son, my daughter, more than I am honoring God? Uh, some of the ways that to me are just marqueed out there is we just are the parents that are, they've got their kids into every activity under the sun and they're chasing them and chasing those kids to stardom, hopefully, you know, even though not many of them become stars. But to me, that's an illustration of honoring the kid more than you're honoring God. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not stuffy. I don't have a problem with someone going to a baseball game or something after they go to church or whatever. But do you see that as a problem? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, uh, I think another one that comes into my mind a little bit is, is uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Maybe, maybe uh, what's the right word? Cow towing? Is that like going? Cow towing. Yeah, yeah. cow towing to your, your child's wants, maybe even in high school. You know, or it's, oh, I don't, I don't want to go to church because it's boring or something like that. Yeah. And just oh, basically giving them free range or, or I want to go here because my friends are over here. And I think that's a form of that in a sense. Like, yeah, okay, you lead the way as I kind of take the back roads to, to, to uh, some of the spiritual decisions. And I don't think that's what we see in scripture, really. No, and it's a little bit like parents who go to churches because of the youth group. Yeah. I, we have a great youth group. I, I, I put our youth group up against anybody in the area. But that shouldn't be the, I, that's, a, that's like saying I'm fouling my kid. And uh, be the parent, be the leader. And you're gonna have to work through these difficult times. And, but I think you should see it. You know, uh, Proverbs 20 verse 11 says, you know, even a, a child's known by his doings. You know what child you have that's tenderhearted to God. Mm. Versus the ones that are more resistant, resistant to God. You need to lean into that one way or another. So, um, so just a couple of things uh, in addition to that. You you mentioned the pie analogy again. Not everybody saw that. Yeah. And uh, just to very briefly, it was a powerful moment toward the end of the message. I uh, 
to the congregation, I told the story of a guy in our church who grew up in this church who completely rebelled off the chain, completely uh, uh, got into drugs, alcohol, ran around the wrong crowd, and was in a house and they were smoking a lot of weed and they were just partying up a storm. Music was just going, you know, rock music. Not them, I'm not attacking <laughs> rock music here, but just blaring, you know. And uh, and uh, and his mom, who was the secretary of this church for 35 years, showed up at his door with a homemade pie, and uh, knocked on the door. And he answered the door and was out and was staring at his mom while the marijuana was wafting out the door. <laughs> I mean, it just like a like Animal House, you know. <laughs> And he said his mom just smiled as lovingly, as sweetly as he did, as as if he'd met her out in the front yard on a nice day where nothing else was going on. And yeah. and she said, I just, hey, I just wanted to give you a pie I made for you, your favorite pie. I think it, it was even his favorite pie. And she never asked to come in or anything like that. She just gave it to him and left kindly. And and he when he saw he saw the gospel in that. He saw yeah. this woman who loved him unconditionally, yeah. even in his terrible state of being. Yeah. And the comment I made was, some of you parents need to quit making noise and start making pies. Yeah. Any comment on that? Yeah, no, I, I just thought that was probably my biggest highlight of, of your message because it's so, it's so true. And I oftentimes, when I think, when I'm thinking evangelistically at least, um, I oftentimes uh, think of family and kind of neighbors in the same vain a lot of times because you're stuck with them. Now, neighbors, you're not always stuck with them, obviously, but you're just stuck with them for a long time. So you want to be wise in the way you approach how you call them out for their sin, obviously, or, or present the gospel to them. And oftentimes that looks like a longer process, right? Mm -hmm. So you have the you have the long game in mind. It's the whole planting the seed and not looking at it type of a thing. It's planting the seed and playing the long game. What's the pie thing? You, you, you give them the pies, you love on them and, and the hopes that the gospel will be made present later. And, and maybe that means that you as the parent start to pinpoint those in my life, maybe uh, the Abe Millers, the Rob Seilers to maybe even have a side conversation with them to say, hey, you are an outside source. Yep. You are somebody who has a different perspective on his life. You're not the parent. Mm -hmm. I want to just love on them right now, but they still need truth. Mm -hmm. uh, would you maybe possibly probe that truth a little bit just to see where they're at? And they still may reject you, right? I mean, high schoolers are high schoolers. You know, mm -hmm. kids are kids. Um, but you don't know until you don't know. Yeah, and you mentioned two things. You need the church. You need the body of Christ. Because yeah. you mentioned two individuals. One was internal in your very church that you were raised. Yeah. The other was external. He was in another church, but you had an association with them. That's the greater body of Christ. And parents, you need to en enlist those people into your kids' lives in as much as you possibly can. And then you also mentioned, I mean... Two of the points that, for me personally, in my working through this topical message with a lot of scripture, uh, not the normal way in which we exegete a text, but it was uh, just the same. It was uh, an important thing for the you know for this summer, the way we're dealing with your questions, God's answers. We said the gospel comes alive in the pursuit of your wayward child. Uh, it, what I meant by that is it comes alive with you. It comes alive in the child to see those actions. You, you're making the pies. You're loving them in spite of what they're doing. Because I would say this to you, parents. You can't save your kids. So what if that wayward son or daughter never gets saved? Just think on that for a moment. What if they never get saved? 
God forbid, and we're, you're trusting and praying that they will, what if they never get saved? Does that mean you, if, if you knew that in advance, if God gave you, sent you a message that, oh, by the way, Johnny will never get saved, so just to let you know, would you quit preaching the gospel to him? Would you quit loving him? Would you quit making pies? <laughs> I think it would make you redouble your, your efforts. You do even more uh, in the hopes that God, you know, <laughs> would, now he's not going to change his mind. I realize that's not going to happen either, but think about that for a moment. Would that change the way you love your kid unconditionally? I'm guessing it wouldn't because they're your kid. So keep making those pies. And you alluded to the other thing, the, the faith, the last point was the, your faith is in the waiting. Uh, you plant the seed. We talked about that briefly. Uh, Isaiah says, blessed are those who wait for him. And uh, we're not used to waiting for anything in our generation. Everything is instant gratification. Everything. You want a house? Get the loan. If you want this, go get it. We're in, a, we're in such a sappy, money-filled, lust for money and power society, and we can get it right now. And that's not the way God works. So uh, we, did, we did mention some encouraging things in case you didn't catch it uh, in his book, Good News About Prodigals, Tom Bissett. Uh, says that uh, some of the studies he did are that uh, something up to 85% of them return, yeah. which is like, hallelujah, you know, if that's the case. So be encouraged, but you're, God's using those things. It just isn't going to happen in your time. And we gave the illustration at the very end of, the, of something that took place where years ago in my first ministry, a young lady had completely rebelled and her mother, who was greatly used of God, was so broken over it as any mother would be an older man in our church put her put his hand on her shoulder while he saw her crying and asked her what the problem was and she divulged the problem he quoted proverbs 22 6 and i realize there's a lot of different takes on proverbs 22 6 but i i don't think you're ever going to shake the historic take on it you train up a child the way he should go generally speaking and when he is old he won't depart from it and his line was what is she old yet yeah and I have to tell you, folks, I have had a bunch of text and emails and calls from people since just last Sunday saying that one line gave them hope. They're not old yet. Yeah. And you continue to trust the Lord until they are. Yeah, I was just with that percentage. I was just talking with somebody about uh, we, were, we were talking about evangelism and you know strategies and we're trying to think through some things. And and, um, and I was just saying, you know, not that you can necessarily put a percentage on people that get saved, but I think if you could, you would overwhelmingly put the highest percentage of individuals that get saved are those individuals who are, whether on their own or while you're sitting across the coffee table from them, in the word itself. Yeah. They're actually reading the word because the word has the power to save. The word, salvation comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so that percentage really shouldn't shock us. Mm -hmm. If these are kids and children who have been uh, ingrained with the word and this word is that supernatural power that has the potential to explode into salvation at any point in their life then an 85 percent return rate is a is a, a shocking but maybe not so shocking yeah percentage. maybe we should have more faith to believe that's going to yeah. happen so there, there. I mentioned this in the message, so I'm just going to quickly get it out. So when you're, as you're raising your kids, I, I like to keep things as simple as possible. I like the, I talk, I talk about the three C's of of disciplining your kids. Uh, now, this is going to apply to the kids that are 
it's going to apply to your two-year-old. It's going to apply to your seven-year-old. It's going to apply to your 17-year-old. And that's the one, that's where the real rubber meets the road. The struggle is, and I can't take all that struggle away from you. Uh, I don't wish it, wish, wish it upon anyone, but I know that there are great uh, lessons that God has for you to learn through this. Those three C's are that your, your discipline should be Christian. It should be concrete. And it should be consistent. Those are the three C's I like to put out there. Christian, I mean, Christian, what is Christian discipline, John? What would you understand that to be? You don't do it in anger. You don't do it to provoke them, which I think is an interesting one, but happens more often than we think, you know. Uh, what am I missing here? You don't do it to... It's got to be gospel-centered. Gospel-centered. You're teaching them the gospel as what sin is. You're sitting, you're taking the time to actually sit down and explain why you're disciplining them. Yeah, you're probably going to do it every time, but especially with the little ones, you need to, this is your opportunity to remind them, this is why Jesus died for them. Yeah. He died for them for their, for this sin. This is why your your uh, your youngest son just trusted Jesus as a Savior the other day, and he's old. How old is he? Four. He's four years old. And uh, we're trusting the Lord. It was a real decision. We'll yeah. see, huh? Yeah. But, uh, but probably through discipline, gospel reminders, and that, so it needs to be Christian. It needs to be, Concrete. By that, I mean it needs to be consistent with the crime, you know. Uh, and so that's the reason why Proverbs 29, verse 15 says, The rod and reproof bring correction, but the child that's left to himself brings shame to his mother. So that's that's a grace. You know, if you just are lopsided as a grace parent and you don't discipline, uh, you're setting your kid up to... Uh, to uh, tolerate sin, I think, in their lives. Yeah, and that even bleeds back into the whole Christian idea because while you don't want to spare the rod, at the same time, when you do show grace, you can explain, well, why am I showing yep. grace right now? Well, yep. it's because I was shown grace, and you can have the same grace. And Yep, yep. So it needs to be concrete. Corporal corporal punishment, the, you know, the spanking is not popular. You can be, but the truth of the matter is it's, it's very, very biblical and done in love. It will have good, it will, I think it will yield good uh, fruits from that. And, uh, and finally, it needs to be consistent. I mean, you, the word explains itself. <laughs> Inconsistency in the area of discipline will sow seeds of, of uh, really probably confusion, if anything else, to your kid. Uh, so be consistent, and uh, I think God will bless you as you raise those rebels. <laughs> so God bless you. I hope this helps and uh, uh, have a wonderful week in the Lord.